So we're going to bounce around a little bit today. And, okay, eight months on the job as CMO. I mean, you've come a long way, eight months on the job from $8 a year, which I think is what your first, was that what it was? $8 an hour. $8 an hour. For a long time, I used to say that I would rather entertain 2.2 million people than have 2.2 kids. And when I would describe my 2.2 kids, the 0.2 that I was referring to was my oldest child. And I actually still tell my kids to this day that their oldest brother is Herman Berman, who is 12 years old. Herman Berman is the actual name of the point two, he's my nine pound chishi. And for the dog lovers in the room, they already know that's that's my chihuahua shih tzu, a chishi. I gotta tell you, this Herman to me is a family member. He is, he's not just a pet, or maybe he's a pet who's a family member. Uh, and the reason that I would be even bringing up this today is because today we have the privilege of being joined by the chief marketing officer of Petco, Katie Nauman. And Katie, what's so cool is that you know, I, I love giving San Diego like a little bit of love, especially in business, because we just, it's hard to do. It's not New York. It's not LA. And Katie, we've known each other for, gosh, what, 12 years now, 15 years now? Yeah, something like that. And I've watched you do your thing, and I've been over here doing my thing. And so when the news came out that you, by the way, you know, I cannot believe you've been the CMO now for 2.2 years. I mean, two years. I mean, that has it gone fast? Well, I've been at Petco for two years, and then I've been in my CMO role for about eight months now. How does it, does it feel like it's gone fast or slow? Very fast. Yeah, I started at Petco right as the pandemic was hitting, and I think we left the offices on my fourth day. Um, you know, as a trial, it was like, a, we're just going to go home for the weekend sort of thing, but then it ended up being two years. But that, you know, COVID accelerated so many things, but part of it was accelerating how fast it felt like I've been at the company. Um, and then, you know, being in the CMO, I can't believe it's been eight months. It, it, a lot has happened. Um, but yeah, it's exciting to think I'm almost coming up on a year now. And you, you've had a stressful little month. I mean, this is mm-hmm. the Courageous Podcast. We can talk about these things. Talk about your last month. Yeah. So the last month, um, we went public a little over a year ago. And uh, a few weeks ago, we had our first investor day in New York City, which is our chance to kind of lay out our long-term strategic vision. You know, we, we do earnings each, each quarter, which is a little bit backward looking. And this is our chance to really um, paint the picture of how we think about things going forward. So it was a big moment for us and our chance to kind of really share you know, where we're headed and, and it went really well. So we're excited and um, yeah, it's been fun. And this past week, I've been out on the road meeting with some different uh, manufacturers that we work with. So it's been a, a whirlwind and great month. All right. But like <laughs> how much prep work goes into this? Are you on a stage? Are you showcasing the, you know, here's the next three years, the vision or is it one year? I mean, how much work goes into this? Yeah, we've been working on it for probably six months. And um, big stage, we were at Cipriani, um, famed Cipriani in New York. And um, we had a lot of folks in person. We had a lot of folks um, online. I think that world is still split a little hybrid. Um, But yeah, it was six months of preparation. And I I always say that these big meetings, whether it's a big meeting to an external audience, whether it's a big meeting to an internal audience, like a quarterly business review or something, these sorts of meetings to me, yeah, there's the delivery of it, but really I think they are forcing functions to crystallize your strategy. 
and um, that's happened to me time and time again. And so, um, you know, getting to tell our message to our external investors was a lot of fun. Um, but I also think it really, you know, helped us crystallize what's so important to us. And um, we, I know we feel as galvanized as ever about what we're doing. So we're going to bounce around a little bit today. And okay, eight months on the job as CMO. I mean, you've come a long way, eight months on the job from $8 a year, which I think is what your first, yeah. eight, eight, was that what it was? $8 what an hour. $8 an hour and your first job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was, I, I was at Purdue uh, university. It's where I got my undergrad and um, I was, I had kind of bounced around majors. Uh, I started out in uh, engineering and I went to pre-veterinary medicine and then I ultimately figured I, I wanted to be in business. So I had a, a kind of a general management degree and um, I, I kind of thought I wanted to go into marketing, um, but I wasn't sure whether it was, you know, business strategy or marketing or something to that effect. And I was out interviewing. I had a great offer from a consulting firm in Atlanta. I didn't know anybody in Atlanta. So it was kind of, you know, a leap of faith and they were, you know, they were offering me really good money back then. Um, and then I had a second offer from an agency in Denver, which was close to uh, my eventual husband that I kind of wanted to be near. And they were offering me an $8 an hour internship. <laughs> and I, I took the $8 an hour internship. Um, so that's where I started. And my first desk was, I'm not kidding you, the, I shared the closet of the IT department with two other people. <laughs> so I sat in the closet and um, <laughs> worked my butt off. And after three months, um, there were, I think there were 10 interns and only one, one full-time job um, that was being hired for. And I got that full-time job. So I, you know, I come from a family of really strong work, work ethic and um, I put that to the test there and it, it paid off for sure. And that's kind of how I got my start. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, similar story, different city. I was in New York City with 22 interns and I was like, I will work. I will live at this company, like whatever it takes mm -hmm. to get this job. And I, I do. I think I was the only intern to get offered the job afterwards. Um, and it is, there's something about that. And I mean, I guess I wonder, like, is there a correlation between hard work and courageousness? Like, do you think that there's a combination between those two worlds? And follow-up question, because I, I do think you are a courageous individual, and I'm curious if you feel, have you always been courageous? Like, you had shared a story, there's a lot of questions in here, sorry. You <laughs> shared a story with me about, you know, quitting a job and backpacking around the world at the age of 29 or so is it in you, you know, is there, is there a combination between hard work and courageousness first? Let's start there. It's a great question. Um, I recently did a, a, like a personality test. Like we've all done these, right. Um, and I've done so many different kinds of them. And it, this was a new one. I, it's hard to believe that there's some out there that I still haven't done, but there are. And this, this new one, um, I just did it. I don't know, like six weeks ago or so. And it came back as like, what are my highest values? And my highest value came back as hedonism, which I didn't really know like a lot about that term, but basically that I just want to get the most out of life. So no matter what I'm doing, if I'm working or if I'm playing, like I just want to be doing it to its fullest. And so I, that, you know, looking back now on a lot of my life and a lot of the decisions I've made, um, I can really 
see that value coming through really strongly um, because whether it is work, I just want to do the most with it. And so, yes, I think there comes with that a really strong work ethic. Um, I think you also create your own luck though, too. You know, I don't think it can be one or the other, but I think those two things together are a really powerful combination. Do you think that work is an adventure? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you know, I guess if there's a challenge right there, then that's who you are. It's part of who you are anyway. Yeah. I mean, if I'm spending that much time away from my family, you know, and away from my, my, you know, personal life passions, I better be loving what I'm doing and doing a great job at it. So I just want to kind of, I, I, I think what that, that personality test taught me was that I'm squeezing out everything I can out of every moment. And so that has led to, you know, a strong work ethic, but also a successful career. And, um, yeah, it makes me look back on the time I've spent, whether it's whether I'm looking back at my week or looking back at the last year or the last decade and feeling really proud of and just knowing that I gave it my all and got the most out of it that I could. All right. So if I'm listening right now and I want to go from eight bucks an hour to the CMO Petco, how do I do it? (laughs) Oh, I don't think I have a silver bullet, but, um, (laughs) you know, I just, I followed, I followed my journey. Like I I just, there, there was no grand plan. (laughs) There really wasn't. I mean, if I'm honest, like I started out in an agency, I didn't even know what an agency was. Like I didn't really understand what that word meant. You know, I was just, I was so naive. Um, but I had, you know, a, an assignment or a project in front of me and I just, you know, went out trying to crush it every time. And, um, I always like when I, when I speak with, you know, early career folks, I kind of always share that in my career, the jobs that I've taken have always been for slightly different reasons. So when I went to, um, Denver and started at this agency, you know, the primary reason I went was because I wanted to be near somebody that I loved and I ended up marrying, Um, and I had a very fulfilling time there, both in terms of the work I was doing, I was doing retail marketing for, um, HP, which is, you know, spoiler alert, I ended up, you know, working for a decade at HP, but also got to work on Procter and Gamble, got to work on new business accounts. So that was very fulfilling to me. I was a sponge. I was learning a lot. And I also, you know, had the payoff of, of this great personal experience. Um, and then I went to work for, um, the Union Tribune here in San Diego. So a, a kind of a multimedia company. That's where I met you. And um, that fulfilled different different parts, right? I, I kind of wanted to try the client side. Um, you know, it was it was better pay. Like there were, there were certain parts that I got married during that time. I did a half Ironman during that time. So there were, the, the work-life balance was a little better. So it just fulfilled a different part of what I was looking for at that moment in my life. Um, and so every, every time that I've changed jobs or tried something different, it's because I was needing to, f- to fulfill something a little bit different. And ultimately I came to Petco two years ago because I, I, I felt that it was time to maybe, um, not work on a global business. Um, I had two little kids and, the, the hours and the early meetings and late meetings were really tough to be able to feel like I was spending enough time with them. And, um, you know, I think again, going back to wanting to squeeze out every moment, I was trying to find that right balance between, between work and personal. Um, but yeah, I've just, you know, I have just followed my heart and my needs, um, through my career to what I, to what I needed at that moment. And it hasn't always been to get ahead. Sometimes it's been to go a little sideways if that's what I needed in my personal life at that moment. Um, but I've just tried to stay true to that 
and, and keep my happiness and, um, you know, just try to do the best job I can at everything that's in front of me, which I think has allowed me to go from that $8 an hour to CMO. Has, uh, you said following your heart, has that ever gotten you in trouble? Mm, it's a good question. It probably has, but I can't think of something. Nothing really <laughs> comes to mind. <laughs> All right. So you go from a decade at HP, you know, going from computers to canines is a bit of a leap. You know, I love my computer. Like I love my dogs. I really do. But like, I don't, I wouldn't say my computer is a family member. Right. So yeah. my dogs are undeniably family members. I mean, when you, when you get the opportunity to go into a business that is like rooted in love, like there's so much emotion, which is like, an amazing place to be. I, you know, if you ever, I used to talk about like describe, describe being in love. Like what, like, how do you do that? Like, I don't know. I just like, I feel it. It's just a feeling. That's how I feel about my dog. And when you have that as an insight that we just love our pets, especially it's, I feel like the pandemic was an amplifier. And I wonder how, like, what can you share about the numbers on the, did, I'm assuming more people got, animals, dogs, yeah, a lot more people. So, um, about 13 million families brought home new pets during the pandemic. And it makes a lot of sense, right? Like we, you know, we, we had to go inside, we had to be holed up and it was just for a lot of people who maybe didn't feel like they had the time to commit to bringing home a, a new family member. Cause it's in many, many ways, it's like, it's like having a new baby. Um, this gave them the opportunity to do something they've probably wanted to do for a long time. So we had a huge explosion in, in pet parenting over the last two years, which is, is really exciting. And, um, and like you said, it's, it's, it is an amazing category to be a part of. I, I pinch myself every morning that I wake up, that I get to work on this category. I, I loved tech. Um, and there's a certain amount of passion that comes with, with tech, like my, my last job at HP, I was marketing to really, um, you know, high compete professionals that were doing amazing things, whether it was architects or product designers or creatives. Um, and they were so passionate about their work. So that was fun in, in its own way. Um, but yeah, like marketing, you know, a cold, hard steel is, is a lot different than marketing something with a heartbeat. And, um, and that love is, is really fun. Like I have to say like our casting, <laughs> for shoots is the most fun. Like it's so fun. And we know, you know, there's a lot of pets that are like on the circuit, on the acting circuit and we know them and they're well-known and it's, it's just, it's just good times. Yeah. Are they sag dogs? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't, Sorry for people that are like, that. people are like, what is, what is sag? <laughs> screen actors killed. I'm just curious if that's how it works with dogs too. I'm not sure actually. All right. I got to ask because, and I asked this question quite a bit from a stage. I've never asked it, I think, in a podcast. Nothing to be afraid of, of course. Um, <laughs> since you work at Petco, like if you could be any animal in the world, you got to pick one. What animal would you choose and why? Well, hmm, okay. So I have thought about this before. Um, and when I was in Denver, I had a nickname and it was Hammy which was based on hamster because I had friends that said, you're just like, you're always running on this wheel. And like, basically you'll stop to take a drink, but then you'll just get back on the wheel and keep going. I have a lot of energy. And again, like just want to get the most out of life. So I'm just like constantly on that life wheel. And um, that's who I am. Like my parents would say, you know, 
when I, sometimes I'll call them and be like, I've just got too much going on. And they're like, you love it. Don't pretend you don't love it. Like you're, you know, you're the hamster. Um, but I have to say that like my alter ego is like, would be like a sloth. Like <laughs> I think when I retire, I want to be like a sloth. Like, cause I, my DNA says to be the hamster, but you know, the grass is always greener. And I look at people that can just like chill out a little bit or just, you know, really relax. And that, that sounds so nice to me. So someday my husband doesn't believe it, but someday I will retire and turn into a sloth. <laughs> are you uh, are you one of those like half marathon runners on the weekends or marathon runners? Not every no. I mean, I love I love to exercise, and I grew up in a family that was really sports obsessed. But I've got little kids, so I'm trying to I'm just trying to balance it all. I'm trying to you know be a good mom, be a, take good care of myself, and be healthy. Be a good you know CMO and and balance it all. It, it unfortunately means I can't do quite as like long of races or intense of things, but I still enjoy getting out there. Well, how, how hard has it been to manage it all? You know, you're, I think, I, I think it's, I can go here if I can't be like uh, our videos on to so give me the finger for like Ryan. No, <laughs> but like your fir first time CMO, right? Like first time, I mean, if the universe decided to make me a chief marketing officer of a fairly large company, for the first time. And then, then, by the way, let's have you start during a pandemic. And then you're also trying to manage life at home. How, how hard was it? How hard was it? And I believe you started the new job during the pandemic, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I started on um, March 9th and I think it like COVID was officially declared a pandemic. I think on March 12th, if I'm not mistaken. So it was like, right. And that was really tough because like anytime, I mean, everybody knows anytime you start a new job, it's very disorienting. And, and then to start, and then, and then even if you hadn't started a new job, just COVID was disorienting for business. You couldn't tell like what was up or down. You didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. Um, so to have both of those hit at the, in the same week, it was like, I can, I don't know what's going on here, <laughs> but I just kind of, you know, with a great team around me, just, we made sense of it. Um, but yeah, so sorry, what was the question about about the more well, recent? Well, hold on. How did, how's it? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I'm curious. Did you start at Petco during the pandemic or did you, you, you got the job to elevated to CMO? I started at Petco during the pandemic. Okay. Yeah, cool. two years ago. So you actually haven't been like live and in person at all since? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I, I could, you know, I've been in the office less than probably. 40 times over the last two years. And even I need, like, we all came back into the office a few weeks ago and um, even I needed a tour. <laughs> like, I don't know where everything is, you know? Um, but it's fun. It's super fun to be back. Our offices are phenomenal. We have really amazing, modern, very airy and bright offices. And then we have the pets and um, you know, that's, it's, it's a huge part of our culture to have the pets there. Um, a lot of the cubes have little doggy doors. There's dogs sitting up on the, you know, everybody's desk looking at them while they're typing. And we've got cats, we've got snakes, we've got lizards. Like we've just, we've got it all there. And it just, it really connects you to your purpose and reminds you what you're there to do every day. You know, business can be, you know, intense sometimes, but then when you've got a dog barking in the background or you see a dog kind of like open the conference room door with their nose, it, it just like, it brings a levity and it reminds you that you're just, you're having fun and just trying to do good. So. All right. Yeah. But let's go back to the, I, I mean, I, I just, I have to imagine when you spend a decade at HP and then a pandemic hits <laughs> when you're around all of this tech, 
like you must have been so prepared for yeah, yeah that's work. true it's that's so funny did i tell you that before or did you come up it is so true um i i you know am lucky that i had like this great tech package i've got a big wide curve monitor i have the headset i've got the dual screens like the whole thing and um but even more so i at hp because i was you know leading global marketing um i was working with people all over the world so online meetings were like my everyday. It was not, it was not a new thing. And I was used to sitting in like a chair on zoom every day. So I can remember like, right. The first month, everybody's like, my body hurts from sitting like, all day. And I'm like, I've trained my whole career for this, like for this moment, I'm totally, I'm in, I'm in peak form for this moment right now. But yeah, it was, um, it was pretty dialed in for me, which honestly did help. Cause I think other, uh, everybody else was going through a different um, transition as they were going home and I didn't have to, cause I was very used to it. So, you know, thank God I had like some stability in that capacity since everything else was kind of turned upside down. So there's a lot of, you know, if, I think if we're going to talk about courage. We're always talking about fear and the relationship between the two. And you can make a case that, you know, going into a new job that there's, whether they're real or not, it's sort of irrelevant, but you've got these things that are in your mind. So I'm curious if you had like, were you flooded with any fear starting both the new job and then the new role? And, mm-hmm. you know, what, can you share some of that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, my role at HP, so again, global marketing for a decade in different business divisions and, um, yeah, there was some fear about what would it mean to go from like global work to working on a you know a brand that's primarily in the U.S. I mean, we have some some stuff outside the U.S., but it's small. Um, and then I think that you know, hand in hand with that is um, in a global role, like when you're sitting at you know in a worldwide function, most of what you're doing, and it's a lot of work. It's it's you know working with the business units and, and, you know, understanding their objectives and translating that to marketing strategy and positioning and key messages and creative development. And then the, the rest of the world uses being, having, you know, those layers of global, regional and country all smushed together is what I'm in now at Petco. And um, I think it's, it's made, it's turned me into a more well-rounded marketer because the, you know, when I was at HP, the media dollars were sitting at the country level. And so I was creating the strategy and the, you know, the, um, the creative assets, but I wasn't really, I, I always felt like an arm's length removed from how that was actually getting activated in a market. Um, and the kind of the agility that you need to have to adapt to whatever the environment is, um, at the moment. And so it's, you know, there was a little bit of fear on like, what, what will be taken away from me as I go from a global to a, to a single country role. And there was a little bit of fear in, uh, am I ready for this too? So it like both in a, and you know, what, what am I gaining and what am I losing? Um, and it's been great. It's been great. I mean, I, I think throughout my career, I've tried to like pick up experiences that give me duality. You know, I've been on the agency side, I've been on the client side. Um, and this is, this is a great opportunity for me to have gone really deep in one area of a multinational company where I'm really focused on the strategy. Um, but now I get to, you know, touch it from strategy all the way to planning, you know, overseeing the planning of the media and, and in market and making real-time optimizations, like sometimes on a daily basis. So, 
um, if, yeah, there was absolutely fear, but um, it's worked out. You know, I have, I just kind of, in some ways, embrace that and, and know that it's just going to be a learning curve. You know, what's the worst that could happen here? <laughs> it's just a learning curve. Um, and then, you know, all you need to do is just give yourself some time. I always, you know, when I'm in those moments where maybe I'm out of my comfort zone, um, I just kind of remind myself, like, just give yourself, just give some time because it won't be long where it doesn't feel like you're out of your comfort zone anymore. And that's happened to me time and time again. And it's, it's always worked out. I think when you were at HP it was an integrated role as well. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so then you jump over here. Did you see an opportunity? I, I always think it's, you know, you don't want to ever ruffle feathers. Uh, I'm not trying to make a bad pet go bet joke, by the way, but like, <laughs> but like if the systems are, Oh, that was optimized for integration. And then you come over here and suddenly you got to bust down silos. How much of your job was, how do we appropriately interpret who we are to the outside world versus how do I squeeze the sponge in a better way and maximize the processes on the inside world? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky that my, um, I'm lucky that my experience at HP had me inherently in an integrated marketing role um, because it's, it's exactly what was needed for Petco at, at this point in our life cycle. So Petco, um, for those that don't know, we are, we are in the, the middle of a really large transformation from kind of being a traditional transactional retailer to really being a health and wellness uh, partner for pets and their pet parents. And so we have a lot of business units, um, you know, whether it's, um, you know, our merchandise, which includes everything from nutrition to like supplies, which are like beds, bowls, collars, leashes. We actually, you know, we sell large, small, we, we sell um, live small animals. Um, we have our own kind of own brand lines. Um, we have a lot of services, grooming, training, veterinary hospitals. We have a membership that kind of covers it all. We've got 1500 pet care centers, which is what we refer to as our stores and our app and our website. So there's, there were a lot of individual business units. And as you're thinking about being a health and wellness company, the customer really does not care about those individually. <laughs> they care about the solutions, the health solutions that you're bringing. And so that has been a major part of our company's transformation is stitching together those business units into telling more solution focused stories. So like a, a great example of that is when I started, we were doing nutrition campaigns and grooming campaigns. And that's, you know, in some ways showing your org chart to the outside world. And within the, within the year, we had flipped that. And instead, we were telling weight management stories and se uh, senior pet um, campaigns and uh, mental health campaigns. And so when I'm telling a weight management story, I can be talking about the right nutrition and seeing your vet regularly and having the right kind of exercise equipment or slow feeder bowls or whatever it is. So it allows me to not only give more support to more businesses, but also, you know, talk to the customer in the way that they want, which is through solutions to the challenges that they're facing. And so, you know, we've been kind of on that journey of integration not only at the company level, but then also within our marketing organization um, and making sure that, you know, we're taking that strategy and stitching it together across all the different marketing channels that we're trying to tell that, tell that story through. I'm so glad you went, you went here. Like, so look, I think it's clear that we have mental health is sort of the topic du jour in society right now. And I, I would 
go as far as say we have a mental health epidemic. Uh, and I'm glad we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, is is there also a pet mental health epidemic? Yeah, I think we are in the middle of understanding how much of one there is. So I'll tell you what I mean by that. Um, you know, when we, when we were with our pets for two years straight, right, in our homes and couldn't go outside, um, you know, pets got really used to us being right there with them every day. And they got really used to not having visitors over. So it was like their little family unit and nobody else. And as people have gone back now out into the workplace and back out into society, we were very worried, um, particularly around like fall of last year, we were very worried that we were on kind of the precipice of the largest mental health crisis in pets ever. Um, And so we were doing a lot of education around um, kind of the two main components were separation anxiety and social anxiety. So separation anxiety, like, oh my gosh, you're leaving me. I'm used to you being by my side all the time. I'm going to freak out when you leave. And then social anxiety, like what you're taking me out to a crowd now, (laughs) you know, like I don't know how to act around a crowd anymore. And um, that's true for not only adult pets that have been in families for a long time, senior pets in particular have a really hard time kind of adjusting, but also for all those new pets, right? Those 13 million new pets that got brought into families and immediately into the family home, they were never socialized um, in the way that a normal new pet would be. And so I think, you know, in some ways, you want to call it lucky, whatever, but in some ways, because of all the different variants, we've sort of had a stop, start, stop, start. Like we've kind of as a society have like been venturing out into, you know, back into our, our regular lives and then back, and then we went back and then we went out a little bit again and then we went back. So in some ways, I think the variants have helped pets maybe have like a slower ramp to us being out of the house again. Um, but I think we're in it right now. So I, I don't think we can say for sure, like what's the end state here. Um, but we know that mental health and pets is super important. Um, in fact, we, so Petco is, is kind of leading the pet industry in um, promoting, uh, you know, a whole health philosophy for pets. We're really inspired by human health and wellness. And it's like, if I would have asked you, you know, 10 years ago, what do you do to stay healthy? You would have said two things, food and exercise, right? But now we're talking about our mental health more than ever. We're renovating our homes. I think we found this out during COVID, like your home surroundings are so important to your well-being and your mental health. And, and we feel the same way about pets. So um, if I, you know, if I would ask you a year ago, what do you do to keep your pet healthy? You would have said probably food and exercise, which is totally understandable, but that's just looking at kind of their physical health. And so we have this kind of whole health philosophy, which is it's physical, mental, social, home, and then ultimately making that all accessible so that people can access that care for their pet, that well-rounded care that if you kind of are working on these different dimensions of your pet's health really will lead them to be more well, like they'll, they'll increase their well-being. So we're really excited. I think this is a, you know, we're talking about pet health care in a really progressive way that others aren't. And, um, you know, it makes me proud to be a part of this company and kind of the mission that we're on. Well, you know, it's, I'm, I'm sort of head nodding over here about the the fact that it's been two years i mean in dog years that's what 14 years right Right. so the only cool event i could think about i'm showing that i clearly have a six-year-old daughter is 
it's like frozen, right? When Elsa and Anna weren't allowed to see people for the first 18 years of their lives or whatever it was. Sorry for those who don't have kids. And then they, the minute they're released into the public and see people, there was some anxiety there. So I yeah. never thought I'd, I'd work a frozen reference. It's a good analogy. The I haven't heard that one before. Right. But, but that's kind of what it is, right? It's like you're 20% of your dog's life. They've been whether they're new, one of the 13 million or not, 20% of their life, they've now been pretty much locked up in their house. And here we go. Um, so yeah, the, the mental health component, yeah, I guess this holistic health and leading the charge and mm -hmm. I'm thinking about it for me. Uh, how does one go about running a focus group with dogs to learn this? Or, or like, is there glass and the dog is watching the owner leave the room? Like, uh -huh. Where does this research come from? Yeah. So, you know, I think two, two, two main areas. First, um, we partner with some really amazing vets. So we have an industry leading, uh, we call it Petco Pet Wellness Council. And we've got, you know, behavioralists, we've got oncologists, we've got, um, you know, exotic animal specialists. So we've got a, a, a nutritionist, we've got a, a really well-rounded group of veterinary advisors that we work with. And in fact, we, we co-developed our whole health philosophy with them. We had had this idea again, based on human health and wellness, and they, they really liked it. And, and we worked on, you know, the dialing and the terminology, but that was, that was very much informed by, by our vets. Um, and then also just talking to pet parents and understanding, I mean, I think anybody who, you know, was going out can remember their pet being like, I'm sorry, what you're leaving me. And so there's, there's just a lot of solutions that we can give pets, um, you know, whether it's, um, you know, mental health toys that can keep them busy or it's, you know, calming, calming blankets or calming sweaters, or it's, you know, um, supplements that we can give them to help ease their anxiety. There's, there's so much that we can do. And I think people just don't know that they can do it. Like you were saying earlier, um, you know, everybody loves their pet. They're like their family. In fact, we have a lot of research that shows that sometimes people treat their pets better than they treat their human family members. Um, and I know you laugh but just because it's kind of, it's funny because it's kind of true. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, we have, you know, we, we know that pet parents want to do the best for their pet but many of them don't know what that is, right? You want to do the best for your pet, but you don't exactly know what that is. And so mm -hmm. that is really probably the work that I am most excited about what we're doing is really like, this is, this is the epitome of going from transactional retailer to help them on as partner. I'm not just selling you goods. I am helping you understand what you need to real problems that you're facing. And then, yeah, I have, I have those solutions in the form of product, but it's more about helping them get connected through education to those things. Like I didn't know there were calming blankets for dogs, you know, or whatever, like, like helping people discover those new technologies and new innovations in the, in the pet world brings me a lot of pride and satisfaction. And it's not a hard sell because they already love their pets and they want to know more and they want to do more. Yeah. It's funny. I, you know, I, I, I don't mean to keep bringing it back to courage, even though this is the courageous podcast and I probably should be doing it. I, I always say that we want to be more, more courageous. We just don't know how to do it. Like that's the problem. And so we confuse an impulsive decision or a resilient decision with a courageous decision. And usually an impulsive decision maybe lacks data. 
um, a resilient decision. I would say change is happening whether you like it or not. You don't get a say. So now it's even do you drive change or does change drive you? And when change is driving you, that's resilience. The last few years with the pandemic <laughs> have been a resilient few years. But when you're proactively hitting the gas, that's driving change. That is a courageous move. And so I love hearing like you're finding these real moments. Like we want to be pet, better pet owners. Maybe we don't know how until the light bulb moment goes off. And then ta-da, guess what? There's a solution that I need that's readily available for me. I'm curious for you. You said it already that you're in the middle of this transformation moment in the company. And, you know, your muscles are built for transformation. Like you, you've literally, it's not new, a new hat for you. And it's not new that somebody new would come into the organization and be at peace with that. But I'm sure that there's people who've been at Petco's when you love your dog or you love your animal. I'm sure there's people who've been there for 10 years, 12 years, and this is not to vilify them in any way, shape or form. But how do you bring along people? who have been there a long time that maybe don't want to change. Maybe they don't want to move forward. Maybe there is a little bit of resistance. It's happening. They're on your team or they're, they're in another silo that you work with. How do you go about sort of making sure they've been heard without slowing down the transformation? Yeah. It's so important. Um, it's interesting at, at HP, it was like common to hear people say, I've been here 20 years. I've been here 25 years you know, hearing people say they've been here two years was like uncommon at, at HP. And it's kind of the opposite of Petco. Like we have um, a very, like, um, we don't have like a, a really long tenured workforce. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's, you know, we, we've got some folks that have been there 10 or 15 years. Um, we've got a lot of new folks too. And um, it's, <laughs> I think it's so important. I mean, institutional knowledge to me is everything I don't want to keep reinventing the wheel. Um, so it's, it, it was important to me, um, when I started at Petco to find those folks that like know how, know how it works as they've, they've seen it all, um, to the point where I even think that like there had been at one point, some version of like our whole health philosophy, but maybe like eight years ago. So, you know, whatever, some, sometimes, sometimes, you know, ideas just aren't right at that moment. Right. Like there could have been a whole health philosophy eight years ago, but maybe, you know, in human health and wellness, we weren't thinking of ourselves so holistically back then. So maybe it was a good idea, but it just wasn't the right time for it to take off. And so I think having um, that institutional knowledge of what's been done, but also then pairing it with culturally what's of the moment is really when those kind of sparks start to happen. So I think, I think it's really important to like, when you, when you start somewhere new, like, you know, come in and listen right? And find those folks that have the institutional knowledge. And then I think context is everything. Context is everything. So for me, when we are, um, you know, working on a new strategy or new approach, when we are reacting to market dynamics that are changing things, like whether, whether it's change because we're driving the change, like you said, or it's change because it's happening to us from an external factor, to me, just giving my team and my partners context and trying to help connect the dots um, to create a bigger picture. I think when people understand the bigger picture, they can generally come along with it. There's not going to be, it's not going to be hundred percent of people, but that's, that is probably like, you know, 
has been one of, you know, my secret sauces throughout my career is like taking data points, connecting them together to create some sort of map or narrative or story of what's happening and trying to really like, it helps people kind of simplify the complex. And when you can do that and you help people understand like what we're doing, why we're doing it, how their work impacts what we're trying to do. And generally people, you know, want to be a part of it. And if they don't, that's okay too. That's okay too. I think it's like everybody, you know, it's, this is a two-way contract between a, an employee and a company, you know, like, you know, the company wants people that want to be there. And if, and if somebody, if, if somebody realizes that, you know, I've just grown a separate way, then that's okay too. And I think as long as we, you know, handle that with empathy and, um, you know, care, then that's, that's an absolutely acceptable decision to make. Are you the type that, um, are you like, would you, are you, do you, is there more joy in like managing and navigating and inspiring the team or in cracking an insight on a strategy? Like mm. we're like, if you had to pick, I'm not going to let you slide out of this one either. Maybe a better way to say it. All right. You have a podium. All right. So what your gold medal, your silver medal and your bronze, are you a strategist, a communicator or a creative What's your bronze? And if I'm missing something, add permission granted to like. <laughs> Strategist, communicator, or what was the third one? Creative. Creative. Um, I, th I think I'm a strategist. I mean, I, I really like cracking problems. Um, really like cracking, like taking a, like I said, kind of a bunch of different things going on and saying, what's the common thread here and how are they interrelated? And and then and once we know that, because knowledge is power, once we know that, what are we going to do about it? And then, but then I think very much a part of that then is being able to communicate. So I'll take that as a close second. Okay. <laughs> um, being able to communicate that in a very effective and succinct way to people, like selling, selling ideas. Like I, I often say, like, I'm just a salesperson. I'm just out like within my company, selling ideas all the time and like trying to get people bought into why we should do this or do that. And um, I think being able to not only do the work, but then sell the work and bring people along with you and galvanize people around that um, is, is how, I've, how I've been effective in my career and kind of moving stuff forward. Um, and creativity, I just don't think it's like mutually exclusive. I just think it's all, I mean, that you have to be creative in how you do that throughout the way. Well, I was going to give you an out and be like, oh, baby. So strategist, gold medal, communicator, silver. Is it salesperson, bronze? I know no one wants to be like sales, but we all, I mean, we're all in sales. We're all creative. I, yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't see that as very different. And frankly, yeah, I don't think, I just don't think that they're, you know, they're all so interconnected. It's, um, I always say I'm, I'm 50% left brain, 50% right brain. And I think like it's, that's served me so well because, um, you know, it's just that well-roundedness that you can connect with people on different levels. And again, help, help, um, see challenges from a multifaceted dimension. And, and again, like connect those dots for people and help them understand what, what's, what's going on make sense of it. So we're coming down the, the, the stretch here at the end here. I, I'm curious if there's like a moment in your career where you could actually feel a moment where you needed to shift that you're just like, mm. okay, like it's time. 
I'm mm-hmm. unfulfilled. I'm using your words now. Mm-hmm. I'm unfulfilled in this. It's not moving. It's the, I need more challenges. Has there been a time in your career where you felt that? Yeah. Yeah. I had, I would say, you know, I was at HP for a decade. I never thought I would be at a company that long. I kind of had done like the three year things. Um, and I can remember like maybe year four or five at HP, somebody asked me like, do you think you'll be here forever? Cause again, like people at that company were there forever. They, people would stay for 30 years. Um, and I, at that time I answered, I don't see why I won't be, you know, I love it here. I, I really, I really felt like I, um, fit well there that my skill set was, was needed and I felt taken care of. And it just, it was like a really, really nice match. And I have, I have great, great respect for HP. I have many friends still there. Um, what I did find was after 10 years, um, largely in the same functional role, which, which probably is on me, like HP is such a large company that I, I could have gone out and done other things. Like there was an unlimited amount of opportunity to go do new things. And I kind of stayed in the same global role, different business units, but same function. And what I started to find was that maybe things were starting to wear on me a bit, like things that over time, if any company, like there's going to be um, things that just don't change. And I started to notice those things more. And I had a friend that said to me, I think you just need new problems. <laughs> and, um, and I thought that was right. And, and kind of right around that time that I was starting to come to grips with that, um, I got a call from Petco. So it was, it was, it, it did feel like a kind of a serendipitous moment. Um, the stars had aligned that way. Um, but yeah, I think it was a good learning for me that um, even if you love a place, it may just not be the, the right place for you in that moment. Um, and again, like going back to what we talked about earlier, like I just followed my heart on that and, and said, you know, this is, this has been a wonderful experience. Um, and I think I want to try something a little bit different. All right. In the spirit of ending with something a little bit different, we're going to play a quick game called this or that. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Yoga or running? Running. Wine or brown drink? <laughs> What's a brown drink? A beer? Brown drink, um, like a whiskey. Oh, I'll take wine. Binge watch or movie? Binge watch. I fall asleep in every movie that I watch. <laughs> I think there's something to that, too. <laughs> uh, busy or bored? Busy. Uh, if you're bored, does it just drive you mad? Are you a good bored person? I, I, I'm not I, have a, a hard good, time. I'm, I'm never bored. Like I, yeah, I don't even know what that means, but someday I will be the sloth that gets to be bored. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, you'll never survive as a sloth. I don't see it. You don't like being bored. All right. Well, that's all the time we got, Katie. I'm so happy we were able to like reconnect over this. We got to give a serious shout out to our, to our, our mutual friend, Joe Nafziger. Oh yeah. I call Joe the URL King. He's got more URLs than anybody I know, but I'm a close second in place to that uh, thanks so much for coming on the show any any final words any sort of m- words of wisdom to anybody listening on taking risks and being courageous oh gosh um no i just think you know follow follow what you feel is right you know don't let anybody else kind of influence what what you think you should do deep down you probably know what you should do that's what i would say awesome thanks katie yeah thank you ryan thanks for having me 